0: Hi everyone, back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter, I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. This is Brooke Gilman, and I am solo today in the host chair role. And today with me, I have Mark McNeil. Mark's been on the podcast before with us, but as a reminder to everyone, Mark heads up our U.S. equity and corporate bond trading desk. So hi, Mark. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Brooke. I'm doing well. Happy to be here.
0: Good. We're here in the first week of April. Quarter end was last Friday we'll focus first on the U.S. equity market, but what's the view? I know the year started out strong and obviously we've seen more specials, but how did that play out over the course of the quarter? And then how are you feeling now going forward as we progress into the second quarter?
1: Sure. So the fourth quarter was relatively boring. And I hate to say that, but you know we saw an average fee in the range of say 50 to 65 bips, And then Q1 was anything but that. The S&P 500 rallied about 7%. We had two more rate hikes, 25 bips each. There was some regional banking turmoil. In KRE, the regional bank ETF declined 27% in just three trading sessions. Really unprecedented volatility. The VIX was relatively subdued from the beginning of the quarter. Then we saw it spike above 25 when the regional bank headline risk in obviously the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank events happened. So it was anything but a boring quarter, I guess is how I would put it. I think for our beneficial owners, it was a quarter where they could probably see some really strong performance, no matter what kind of lending program they ran. Specials had very strong performance. GC lenders had a lot of opportunity to invest on the curve. We certainly have much stronger above the line performance than this time a year ago. So I think it was kind of the perfect all-weather quarter for SEC lending clients.
0: In other periods of recent market volatility prior to this quarter, the commentary always that felt like from a lending perspective was it happened too quickly. You know, It was too abrupt in terms of the market volatility. And so hedge funds weren't really able to place their bets or just prepare those trades and kind of leg into them. Does this feel a little bit different? I know a few weeks ago when we podcasted with Jim, we were talking about all the regional bank names and the reality that none of those bank names were on loan at the beginning of the quarter. And there was really no utilization on any of those names. And then those that did trade specials happened quickly. How long does it take people to do their homework on those companies and set their shorts and things like that? What's your reaction to that in terms of market volatility? Did you feel that it was a healthier, Market volatility from a securities lending perspective in that sense, given your positivity on the quarter?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to answer that in two parts. So I think one piece of that is regional banks. So there is just over 200 regional banks in the RUST 3 index, and we saw specialness or hard-to-borrow activity in only about four or five of them. So while maybe there was pressure on the whole sector and obviously the broader regional bank indices certainly traded lower... We only saw heavy shorting or demand to borrow where stocks traded off GC in about four or five names. First Republic, which obviously has repeatedly been in the news, is a top 10 US equity special now for the market. I think one piece of it is, yes, the volatility certainly created new borrows in the regional banks. But then also some of the increased US equity demand really started a year ago. If we're having the same conversation exactly one year ago, we would say, hey, we are one hike into this tightening cycle. And we'd probably have guessed the terminal rate would be about 3%. So last year, we hiked 25 vips in St. Paddy's Day. Now we're obviously X amount of hikes later. We're well into this tightening cycle. We saw broader U.S. equity indices trade significantly lower throughout the past year. And some shorts have really set in. So it gave them time to set in. Obviously, certain sectors certainly came under a lot of pressure. We saw a heavy shorting of ETFs that track growth names throughout the year, and that has continued throughout Q1. I have some good numbers on the US equity hard to borrow space average fee now compared to a year ago that I can get into.
0: Okay, well, hit us with those numbers.
1: Yeah, of course. So a year ago, the average fee for US equities was about 62 bips. Today, we're at 80 bips. So in the average for the trailing year is 70 bips. So again, we're at 80 bips today. In the average for the trailing year is 72 BIPs. So we're obviously trading at a premium and certainly significantly higher than where we were a year ago, almost 30% higher. Throughout Q1, we really saw that average fee climb relatively fast. And again, at the beginning of our conversation, I said Q4 was boring. So we began Q1 at right around that 60 bit mark. And then we quickly moved to 97 BIPs and hit that at the beginning of February. I know it sounds like small moves when you're talking about 30 BIPs here, 40 BIPs there. That was a 56% increase for the entire U.S. equity market. So again, we started the year at 60 BIPs and we quickly moved to 97 BIPs by the beginning of February. And that's 56% increase. So dollar for dollar, beneficial owners were making relatively 56% more on the U.S. equity loans. That's awesome performance. You know, we certainly saw that. How concentrated,
0: though, was that versus in the last year or two, the specials market in the US has been super concentrated and with a few names, and so it was the haves and have-nots, but was that more diversified across securities and therefore shared the revenue wealth better across lendable assets?
1: You would think so, but it wasn't at all. It actually got even more concentrated somehow.
0: Okay. And is that because of names like AMC or what sort of names were driving that concentration?
1: Exactly. So a year ago, 86% of the market was GC for U.S. equities. Now 87.6% is GC. So the whole market is a bit more GC. But those names trading hard to borrow were trading sharply deeper than they had a year ago. And we also saw their stock prices rally a bit at the beginning of the quarter. So we had an increase in average fee and we saw stock prices increase for some of those you know, thematic specials that we've talked about really for the past year. So that would be your meme stocks like GameStop, AMC, crypto names, EV names, micro strategy. So anything really crypto, perennial specials like Sirius Satellite, BKLN joined the party. We certainly saw that pocket of names trade more special, but we didn't see the breath. So it's still, I would generally call it, it's largely a GC market, but it's those names that the tail kind of moving the average fee for the entire market.
0: And outside of, I know a lot of the retail banking names that became special. And so you quoted earlier, like I think you said four to five names or so out of that list of a broader set of 200 or so in the market. So not that many, but those would have also been broadly held by a lot of market participants, just given the indices they were in. What about, though, the rest of the specials that you just rattled off there? How many of those are more broadly held versus it's more the retail players that are probably buying those securities in the
1: trades? Yeah, so it's both retail and large institutions that hold these stocks. So AMC, for example, is a main index equity. GameStop is a main index equity. So we see these held by a lot of large institutions. In the past, I think maybe there was a bit of divergence between retail and uh, institutions. It was the IPO market. The IPO market has been virtually non-existent. Typically, that would be obviously bad for securities lending, but we've seen these other names trade sharply more special. And a lot of times our institutional clients don't hold IPOs anyways, especially when we're seeing some non-traditional IPO activity like SPACs, et cetera. So it's both retail and institutional clients participating in these names. And we're seeing really very broad participation in our client base too.
0: And what is the latest high level on AMC and that trade? So that trade is still ongoing. There's still updates and new news items out there in the market on AMC. Can you give us a sense of just how much longer people are anticipating or is it known at this point when that opportunity might end for revenue?
1: So there is no definitive end date yet. There was news on Monday that a settlement had been reached on the pending lawsuit. The hearing was scheduled for the end of this month. But then today, there was further news coming out of the Delaware court system. So there is definitely still some murkiness to when it will end. I think analysts are optimistic that the event will go through. But for now, the good news is that beneficial owners can expect to continue to see high earnings for any AMC loans, spot rates are anywhere from 300 to 500%. Obviously, these types of rates are not sustainable forever. So people borrowing the stock are confident or have conviction that the event will reach conclusion soon. Otherwise, they wouldn't pay these levels. But I guess the good news is once the AMC and the APE lawsuit and the corporate action event is settled, it clears the way for the issuance of AMC. So this could be a short that we'll see stick around for a long time. So there's certainly a shelf life on this specific event, but more broadly, I think we could continue to see AMC trade special. As long as it remains a main index equity, we'll see broad participation among institutions.
0: Great. That's wonderful. Thanks. What about in the U.S. equity market in terms of collateral profiles? So maybe for our listeners, just as a reminder, the market would have been very much dominated by U.S. dollar cash. There was probably then a period of time where then for capital reasons, the dealer community would have shifted their preference to being able to pledge equity collateral to the extent that that was Feasible, both from a borrowing entity as well as the lender being able to accept that. But more recently, cash was easier, probably long equities harder to come by. Fast forward to today, like what's the status today? Are dealers showing as much preference for one versus the other? Where's the flexibility there? And what should beneficial owners know about the current collateral preference for the U.S. market?
1: Non-cash collateral as a percentage of the on loan is still at about five-year lows. So non-cash collateral has hovered around 35 to 38% for this quarter as a percentage on loan. Historically, it was typically in the 42, 43% range to as high as 50%. And we would certainly see non-cash collateral move towards 50%, say around like year end or major reporting dates. We're not seeing that phenomenon right now. Cash collateral is remaining in vogue and really for institutional clients, it's important to have collateral flexibility. While U.S. broker dealers might be axed to increase cash collateral balances, it's really important to have a non-cash collateral program too, because we're seeing from entities based in Canada or maybe based in Ireland or the U.K., non-cash collateral still remains a preference or a big part of their borrow book.
0: Great. Okay. What points would you hit on in terms of the corporate bond space and or, we didn't talk much on ETF. so to the extent that there's any interesting commentary there, but anything to report on either of those two asset classes?
1: Glad you asked about corporate bonds. So corporate bonds are trading sharply more special than they did a year ago. So the average fee on loan for corporate bonds is 38 bips. A year ago, it was only 21 bips. So almost 100% increase year over year, which makes a lot of sense, right? We're near the end of a tightening cycle. Corporate bonds were especially high yield, certainly were an attractive short a lot of high yield bonds have traded lower as a result. It's certainly been a strong quarter for high yield beneficial owners. And it looks like that structurally is going to persist at least for Q2 and probably into Q3 and Q4.
0: That'll especially be helpful for upcoming high yield bond auctions that we have on the agenda. So good news.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And ETFs have pulled a bit. So it's probably the one part of the US market in general that is trading a bit less special than it did a year ago, but I attribute that to what we talked about earlier. The Ark Innovation ETFs and a lot of the growth ETFs were outright shorts that traded maybe at 300, 400 basis points a year ago. We are not seeing quite as strong demand to borrow those ETFs, although I should say there's still plenty of demand for them. We saw a lot of outright shorting or hedging with equity index ETFs a year ago. So while ETFs are trading slightly less special, the average funeral loan is still about 56 BIPs, which is only a little bit below the 52 week average of 65 BIPs. So ETFs remain a great spot for any beneficial owners, but they're certainly a little bit less special than they were throughout the past year.
0: Interesting, okay. So tell me what we've missed.
1: So I would say looking ahead, we typically have some seasonality in Q2 that's in our favor. So the Russell rebalance is at the end of June. And a lot of times we'll see subtractions, additions, et cetera, create some volatility around the holdings. And it will be a bit disruptive to supply. And we'll typically, like last year, we saw the average fee move sharply more special Around the rebalance date. So, excitedly, given our starting point this year, if we could see fees trend back upwards again, I think we could expect a strong Q2 for clients as well. The one thing anecdotally that it's, I'll call it funny, it's probably not funny, but I was looking at the top 10 or 15 US equity names today. And a lot of them are the same names we were talking about a year ago. It's the electric vehicle names, it's crypto names, it's Sirius satellite. So, Clients that are along these names, they're looking at their top 10 earners today. Some of them were probably their top 10 earners a year ago too. And like I said, funny's not the right word. I guess maybe an interesting fact is the best way to put it.
0: Nice. Well, I now am an official EV owner, so I don't know whether that's supporting or going against the market for shorts, but I'm all
1: in. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can at least say you own a trendy car. So I think that's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's more than trendy. I think it's what we're all going to be owning at one point, but we will see. I guess that's part of the play. That's part of the market positioning on it. There you go. All right. Okay, Mark. Good. Well, any other closing remarks for us?
1: No, it's, you know, master's Thursday ahead of a long weekend. So wish everyone a happy holiday weekend.
0: Good. Yes. Obviously, we all have Friday off, but I'm also taking Monday off. I'm taking my family to Washington, D.C. So going to instill a little bit of history and culture. Yeah. Good luck. luck.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Have fun.
0: All right. Good. Okay. Well, thanks listeners. We'll be back soon. And I can't promise a Peter Basler or Jim Maroney appearance in the near term, but I'll definitely bring back others. And we're going to try to get Mike Brooks on next and also Mark Wilson from our London group in the next few weeks here. So we'll try to keep delivering more information. And as always, if you have ideas or thoughts, questions on the market, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again. And that's another East Sec Lending Insights. It's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to e Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.